Welcome to another episode of Nutmeg Book Drops Middle School Edition. Hello, I'm Chrissy Warringer. I am the Youth Services Librarian at the Derby Neck Library in Derby, Connecticut. Hi, I'm Frances McGrath. I'm the Youth Services Librarian at the Willimantic Public Library. Hi, I'm Sarah Zareski, and I'm Miss Christie's assistant at the Derby Nick Library in Derby, Connecticut. Nutmeg Book Drops podcast is brought to you by Librarians Connect. Librarians Connect is a group of public and school librarians working together from throughout the state of Connecticut. Find us online at bit.ly slash librariansconnect. On this episode, we'll be discussing the 2023 Nutmeg Middle School nominee, The Parker Inheritance by Vivian Johnson. This novel about identity and perception is wrapped up in a mystery that spans generations. Here's a quick preview. When Candace finds a letter in an old attic in Lambert, South Carolina, she isn't sure she should read it. It's addressed to her grandmother, who left the town in shame. But the letter describes a young woman, an injustice that happened decades ago, a mystery enfolding the letter writer, and the fortune that awaits the person who solves the puzzle. So with the help of Brandon Jones, the quiet boy across the street, she begins to decipher the clues. The challenge will lead them deeper into Lambert's history, full of ugly deeds, forgotten heroes, and one great love, and deeper into their own families with their own unspoken secrets. Can they find the fortune and fulfill the letter's promise before the answers slip into the past yet again? Put the pieces together in The Parker Inheritance by Vivian Johnson, published by Arthur A. Levine Books, an imprint of Scholastic. If you haven't had a chance to read this episode's book yet, we recommend pausing the episode here and heading to your local library to grab a copy. Once you've read it, Come on back and join us for our spoiler-filled discussion, starting now. The first question is always the same question. What did we think of this book? Did we like it? I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I was originally assigned it as part of a graduate degree class called Classics and Clapbacks. We were going to read it in, in connection with the Westing game. And someone else had told me that it was really awesome. And so I had a really high expectations going into it and it exceeded them, which I thought was pretty impressive. I just thought it did a really great job. I don't always love the way flashbacks are handled, but I thought they did flashbacks really well. I thought it dealt with difficult topics really well. Things that like I haven't really thought about, honestly, you know, because we're not taught them. And so I love that this book exists because it can educate a whole generation of people about things that, you know, a whole generation knew because they lived it. But like we all didn't know them because we didn't get taught them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like a lot of things have been kind of shoved under the rug and especially with a lot of the pushback against anything that people label as critical race theory. I think that a book like this is incredibly important and it's so rare to have a book that incorporates these kinds of tough issues in a very organic way. 
this book didn't feel preachy to me in the slightest. It had very everyday situations that all children can relate to, but they had that added element of here's what it's like going through this normal everyday situation as an African-American child. But it never became that too much, too heavy, too preachy, too, you know, like there's there's black joy in this book as as well as black pain. And I, I think that's something that doesn't always happen so often in kid lit. I really, really enjoyed the writing of this book. I don't always love the way that authors write sad experiences uh makes it really hard for me to continue with a book and especially quite a few difficult scenes of this book I still was able to immerse myself and I mean it was quite a few moments where I was not comfortable but the writing really carried through and you wanted to finish it and you wanted to know what was going to happen and I think that I was really invested in Candace's journey as well as a lot of the other characters and I think that that was very well done. I would also agree with you that it did not feel preachy at all. And I have a big problem with that in Queer Lit. I can't really speak for Black and uh, POC literature, but for Queer Lit in particular, where a lot of uh, people want to make things very Black and white. And it's like, well, the gay characters are always 100% good and everybody else is in the wrong. And it's like, those kind of stories lack a conflict of inner self that makes them believable, especially for this age group. And I felt that the characters in this book from like Chip and her father, her mother, and everybody came from a place that was very honest for good or for bad. And I think that being able to have these characters revealed to us in all of their moral gray and moral wrong and moral right was very well done. Yeah, and there were a lot of characters in this story. <laughs> yeah. Every time one of us mentions a name, I'm like, oh yeah, that guy. Oh yeah, I kind of forgot about them. Like, oh yeah, Brandon had an older sister. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, there were a lot of characters in this story and that kind of added to the timelines that are in this story. So we have, we start off in the year 2007 with Candace's grandmother, Abigail. And then we jump to Candace, which is supposed to be present day. And then we also go back to the 1950s to follow around Siobhan and her family and Reggie and Chip and a whole other, almost an, a whole other story. But what's interesting about the way this one worked was that story had everything to do with the present day story so i was curious to hear what we all thought about the timelines and how varian johnson set them up if we thought that was done well and yeah the way that varian johnson follows us through big dub's life from the very beginning because when you go back to 1914 all this stuff that you know, if you don't, if you don't read the books, which like Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, like which don't no one reads anymore, like sharecropping is not the kind of thing that gets talked about. But like that was a 
no, not a great system. And all these things that we need to understand. And and I and that I thought Varian Johnson did well because it layered everything together and it made you understand why Big Dub felt the way he did about things. And the part about Chip and Chip's dad. So I thought the flashbacks worked really well because of the way that it built together. And I thought, to your point, Chrissy, that everyone that it all was connected and you had to understand the way you wanted to understand the way it was going to play out. And there was suspense and mystery and stuff like that. And I think that the suspense really helped like pull me through the flashbacks. Yeah, no, that's really well said that just, this is, this is a mystery. And one of the things, you know, like not every kid is going to be into history, but if you're going to get them into history, I would say that, this is the way to do it. Give them a mystery yeah. and show how going back, looking back can help you solve that mystery. I want to kind of go off of a few things that you said with um, going back to like 1913 and like all of the things and how they were connected. I think it did a wonderful job of showing racism isn't over and it didn't, it's not a past problem. It's never been a past problem. And these kind of things like racism and big life altering systemic problems that consistently affect people of color are not stopped in one moment. And they will continue to affect people's lives until we identify what in the system has caused these things. And I think the framing everything within the mystery has helped really deconstruct that aspect of it in like a, we went back to 1913 to see it. And then we went to the fifties and we saw it still with Candace and we see it still at, with all the other characters. It's just, I think it was really good and well structured to portray that particularly. To that point, that Varian Johnson included a contemporary example of it, I thought was really great. You know, how Brandon and Candace handled it. And they said, I don't like how that made me feel. I'm going to go talk to an adult and an adult is going to do something about it. And I loved that. And because I think that's so important to show that you don't have to suffer in silence. So I liked that a lot. I think that they had an incredible vocabulary for explaining how things made them feel, particularly um, one of the conversations with Candace when she was talking to her dad about uh, his new boyfriend and how that made her feel and how she didn't like him. And that was okay because she didn't like to see her parents broken up, but she didn't not like him dating someone new because he was gay. It was it was just interesting to see that vocabulary play out. And as well as when her dad asked, well, do you still think Brandon is gay? It's like, it doesn't matter, yeah. you know, because that label isn't something that he put on himself. We don't have to guess at people's orientations. It's It's not necessary. It's not needed. And I thought it was just a really good way of being like well Brandon is perfect I don't need to know if he's gay Brandon is perfect and I really really liked that yeah that speech that Candace gave to Brandon's grandfather was a 
Wow. <laughs> Clearly, um, Candace is more eloquent than I am in talking about her speech. <laughs> but that does kind of bring up another question of how did Brandon and Candace kind of help each other grow throughout the summer? They had a very lasting impact on each other. I think I could see this friendship, even though Candace is moving back to Atlanta, I could see this friendship continuing for many, many years. What I really liked about their friendship is that it wasn't instantaneous and that made it feel natural to me. Like my friend and I were talking about how our friends are very similar and we were saying, you know, they should be friends. And then we're like, they're too similar. They won't get along. And there's a little bit of that, like Candace and Brandon, they're, they both love to read, but then they get in fights about it. I just want to sit and read. I don't want to talk to you. But I think the mystery really brought them together. And I think learning to trust each other and trust other people was so important and to open them both up and then have someone they could trust. I was just gonna say like it's been a while since I like first started the book but I do remember that there was an interaction where it was like suddenly Brandon was like oh have you read uh is it me uh god or is it are you there god it's me Margaret yes thank you I was so confused oh no (laughs) it was just a great moment and I was just like I love that that like light bulb moment Uh, thinking of that moment where like suddenly they kind of found some ground and at the end when they're partners I just I really like that I I don't have anything else I just really like that (laughs) definitely something that I did like about the development of their relationship was that it really did feel like a Judy Bloom novel Like from the moment I picked up this book and started reading it, I was like, there is something just so older kid lit about this that that at least for me felt very familiar and very comforting in that way. And I think the big part of it was that they gave each other the space to be who they actually are. And that was a big part of building that trust that Francis was talking about. That was a big part of just them being able to end up working together and being partners was just the fact that they're like, okay, this is who I am for real. Is this okay? And the answer was yes. Like every time that one of them was nervous about showing something about themselves, whether it's Brandon asking about, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret, or whether it was Candace talking about this letter that she found from her grandmother. I like puzzles and I really want to solve this. It was something that they were just immediately, okay, we're in this together. I got this. Radical acceptance. Yes. (laughs) I agree. Everything you said, retweet. (laughs) I don't think it'll fit in a tweet. (laughs) I did want to ask Mm. about how you felt this book dealt with perception. I feel like that was a really big thing. Everybody was being perceived as something they weren't by somebody. Candace and Brandon at the library were being perceived as thieves. Or maybe it wasn't the library, but it was a school. And Reggie was being perceived as white. And Abigail was being perceived as like this failure. 
and none of these were true and I just thought it was really interesting how like everything had like a well here's here's what you see and here's what it is there's definitely a lot about unconscious bias here that we all have as soon as we see someone we immediately want to categorize them we immediately want to give them a label. We immediately want to identify them for our own compartmentalization in our head of like, here's what I can expect when interacting with this person. And what I loved that challenged that was the final conclusion that it doesn't matter if Brandon is gay or not. It doesn't matter. I don't need, I don't need to know that label. I, I know how to interact with him and how to organize him in my head because he is my friend and he is a person. And that's all that I need to see. That's all that I need to know. And I think the main point regarding perception with that conclusion in mind is that, yeah, you can perceive something, but in the end, you really have no idea what you're looking at and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, that's the point of the passing. You're right. Yeah. Because that's what I liked when Siobhan is like to James Parker slash Reggie, that is this the person you want to be? Are you happy being James Parker? No, but that's because you are not allowing yourself to live the way you want to live versus like the love you had as Reggie and all these things. And not that to say that it was his choice to go be James Parker. Yeah, it, it wasn't Reggie's choice to become James Parker, but it was his choice to continue to be James Parker. And especially when he did reconnect with Siobhan, she opened the door like, Hey, I know you. You're, I know Reggie. Where's Reggie. What happened to Reggie? And he's so reluctant to go back It kind of reminds me of that part where the kids call William Maynard and they have this whole conversation with him about the tennis match and about how, oh, yeah, no, the uh, kids from the black school definitely won. They beat the pants out of uh, off of us. We didn't stand a chance against them. And how he just straight up admits that he didn't stand up for anything that happened afterwards. He didn't push back against it. He has continued to live his life very comfortably with no after effects from that night, whereas there are other people whose lives were completely uprooted and changed forever. And he says the reason why he never pushed back or said anything sooner and will never say anything is because sometimes all you have is your good name. I thought that was really ironic and insensitive to say, because here we have Reggie, who gave up everything, including his name. Well, there's like, what I loved about Chip is that Chip at least wanted to try. Chip was like, no, I love this woman. I don't care. And her father's like, you, mm, I know you don't care, but it doesn't, change the fact that you don't know but at least chip tried in this way that like he was like do something and william maynard's like i'm not can't do anything 
I would totally agree with that, especially with Chip. Chip tried. That's the difference between Chip and Maynard. He was trying to be a good person to all people, regardless of skin color. And I think that that is kind of the bare minimum. And a fair amount of people around him, just about everybody, was not trying and did not care and did not see the point in caring. And that is one of the most devastating parts of people like Maynard. His own good name mattered more than the people around him. Those two are not equal. And they should not be seen as equal. I would hope that people would be active bystanders in situations like that going forward and not allow that kind of behavior. We wanted to talk about the difference between vengeance versus justice. There is that part where Reggie or James Parker is talking to Siobhan about what he wants to do and how he's going to get back and all that. I love that that's a question that we get to talk about with this book. And I really think the difference is perfectly illustrated by James Parker, because when you said earlier about how this book had joy and black joy and black pain, and I think that that is what, like James Parker is miserable, is so unhappy. And I think vengeance doesn't make you happy. Vengeance doesn't bring you joy. And justice doesn't always bring you joy either, but it brings you at least peace. And I don't think James Parker had that until Siobhan was like, you are not happy. And then he felt some peace, you know, when they're at the Washington Monument or the the Lincoln Memorial. Maybe joy is not the right word, but something closer to joy. I think the level of closure Mm -hmm. that I think you're talking about is kind of seen at the end where Candace is talking about how some people don't ask about the Washingtons. People wanted to know what happened. People wanted to learn about what happened. And not enough people were asking about the pain that was going through her family or Reggie's family. Not enough people were asking and caring enough, but at least some people were. At least Candace could try and get that word out there and tell that story and be heard. And I think that that was... One of the most important parts for me was seeing Candace resolve like in her heart, like, I'm here, I'm witness to it now, and I will make sure that I am heard. And I felt like that was really, really powerful in matters of justice versus vengeance. It's justice is about how can I make it so that this doesn't happen for other people? Vengeance is about how can I make this right for me? At least that's what comic books say. I don't know. (laughs) the only thing that i would add is that i feel like when you talk about vengeance your focus is on the wrongdoer whereas when you talk about justice your focus is more on how do i make this right for the victim it's like talking about vengeance is more about punishment it's it's very much you know like how do i get back at them I want them to suffer like I have but them suffering doesn't make the victim better usually (laughs) yeah I like that better than mine go with that one (laughs) so much better no because you're right because when I was like yeah vengeance is about how can I make this right for me no it's not it's not even it's how can I make them hurt as much as I did so you're totally right yeah 
I loved this book so much. I think good middle grade fiction is not afraid to be complex. And I liked that a lot about this book that I thought it respected its reader to the extent that the reader can comprehend and understand and think about what is being asked of them. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this book or any of the other nominees. You can email us at librariansconnect at gmail.com. You can also find more information about this podcast, as well as links to other episodes on our website, bit.ly slash librariansconnect. Be sure to ask at your local school or public library about nutmeg voting in April 2023 so you can vote for your favorites. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep reading.